tonight. Uh, this morning, I'm very pleased to have with me as my guest, uh, Vern Winters, a well-known and seasoned trial lawyer and litigation partner. Uh, Vern, welcome to the program. Richard, thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's nice to join you this morning to talk, particularly in these tumultuous times. I should probably just mention that I'm uh, not here speaking on behalf of or for the law firm where I'm a partner, Sidley Austin, but just here individually. But that said, very happy to be here. Well, thanks, Vern. So what I wanted to talk to you today about, and I'm starting a new series, is about the skills required and and about trying to lead remotely, because I think that this is going to be a trend that's going to be staying with us even after this pandemic is over and hopefully soon. And um, I know you've had some I know you've had some experience with that. I think you have some thoughts on that. Why don't you start by just telling me why you think, uh, for example, that remote leadership is different or in what ways is it what different skills that are required for that? Let's do that. And if we could first start uh, by making sure that you and I agree what we're talking about when we say leadership, because yep. there um, are different you know, in preparing for this talk today. I looked at some de- uh, definitions yep. and it turns out dictionaries define this differently. And so do different uh, people we think of as leaders. So for example, The New Oxford Dictionary of English describes it as the action of leading a group of people or an organization or the state or position of being a leader. I'd actually disagree with that. Hmm. I would call that titular leadership, Hmm. uh, at least with respect to the second definition, right? So my son's an infantry Marine, and the Marines have a great saying that that having a title is merely the opportunity to lead. Hmm. So I would say that the state or position of being a leader doesn't necessarily mean you are in fact a leader. You have that Hmm. title but you don't have that function. Um, uh, or even Merriam-Webster you know, defines it as the office or position of a leader. Hmm. Um, and I don't think that's, uh, at least that's not what I think of leadership as. I don't think that's the sense of your question. Yeah, uh, so right. let's, talk, let's talk about what that is, um, and then maybe talk about how remote uh, leadership has been affected or, or how, the, how the pandemic has affected the process mm-hmm. of leading. So... Um, I think General Mattis has the right definition of leadership. So he defines that as a, as a process plus authentic character. And then if you look to see what process means, he looks back to President or, or General Eisenhower and as, as the process of persuasion uh, by example uh, or by uh, – let me start that again. Uh, President Eisenhower, before that, General Eisenhower, defined it as the process of persuasion or example by which an individual or a leadership team induces a group to pursue objectives held by the leader or that team. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think, the sense you're talking about. It's a nice, rich definition, and it gets at the core of what we're talking about. Um, And in terms of a direct answer to your question about um, how has the pandemic affected remote leadership, my thesis is that at its core, the pandemic really hasn't affected uh, leadership because it's always been remote. The pandemic has driven home to us how important it is to be able to lead remotely, but in fact, it's always been there. And so let's look at three different spheres of life. Let's look at politics, let's look at war, and let's look at business as ways to test that thesis. Hmm. So think back, for example, to Churchill's wartime speeches. Now, he gave those in front of an audience, and he was certainly trying to persuade that audience, Hmm. the ones physically present before him. But he also had much greater and, frankly, more important audiences. So sometimes his audience was Hitler. 
Sometimes his audience was the President of the United States or the Congress or the Senate. Sometimes it was the U.S. Citizen, citizenry. It was always um, English citizens. And they were all remote. So he was, you know, for example, the great speech where he said, I have nothing to offer but blood, sweat, tears, and toil. You know, I'm paraphrasing there. Um, you know, that was directed to, in, 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 in the main part, people outside of his immediate physical presence, the English citizenry, they needed to hear that. Um, let's look, uh, you know, so that's a, that's a good example from politics. Let's look at wartime. And again, I'm going to harken back to World War II and look, look at General Patton. You know, he directed operations throughout Europe uh, and throughout uh, certain parts of Asia, and mainly he led remotely. Uh, he led through his subordinates. Uh, he led through the compelling nature of his message. Uh, he led through his reputation. People were inspired by that, but mainly he was leading remotely. Okay, so now let's fast forward out of World War II to more modern times. And many and, and maybe all of the companies that we think was as great are global. Mm-hmm. And their leadership is necessarily remote. And the leadership process there has a lot to do or has a lot in common with um, uh, paradigms we see in the military, right? You can you can do thought leadership through subordinates. You can do thought leadership through the uh, power of your message. Um, it's supplemented by the social media that um, many businesses use. But again, you're, if you look carefully or think carefully about what great organizations do, that have scale, they're necessarily leading remotely. Mm-hmm. And so it's um, in, a, in a rich sense, remote leadership has always been with us. But what the pandemic has driven home uh, is that it's, uh, it's necessary and it reminds us now that great leadership is remote. Mm-hmm. Well, first, let me comment on your first comment, which I, I totally agree with. I mean, I think people can be good leaders and they don't even have to have the title, right? I mean, you see that in all right. kinds of situations. You see examples of micro leadership all the time. It could be a very small leadership going on, even though they might not have like a lofty title. So I, I totally agree with that. Um, yeah, and in fact, organizations depend on that, right? Yes. I mean, not I everyone in an organization uh, has, has a title. It is, mm-hmm. it is true that there are groups of people who work together mm-hmm. where there's no, at least on a title basis, differentiation between mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there needs to be within that group some sort of leader, mm-hmm. uh, even without a title. Mm-hmm. As to your second point, um, you know, look, I, I, I think that's a very good point about how, in fact, remote leadership has you know always been has been with us and the pandemic has maybe has driven that home more um i guess my question to you then is is that do you think though that when you are leading remotely okay i agree that you know people have always done that um it takes different skills or requires different things than trying to lead quote unquote in person yes uh and so i i guess i'd break that down into two at first blush, two categories. So it, it takes more effort and it uh, rewards a different, a potentially different skill set. So let's take that latter point first. Mm-hmm. One of the ways people lead is through the power of personal charisma. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's reason that political rallies are held in person, mm-hmm. right? They're not, they're not a, a, as a default or in the first instance held by telephone or by video conference. Mm-hmm. They're held in person. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that. There's a we get, when we're communicating with each other, huge amounts, and the studies suggest most of our information through cues that aren't readily uh, perceptible unless we're in person with each other. Mm. Um, and so the, the, the ability to lead remotely takes out of a leader's, you know, and, and I'm using that term in the rich sense, toolbox, 
um, some personal charisma component. Mm. Um, and that's just inexorably true uh, when you're trying to lead remotely. Uh, it also requires more effort on the parts of leaders. So, Richard, you go to an office and you have a team that works around you. Mm-hmm. And I will bet that there's a lot of, in your own personal life, a lot of important leadership you do, not in an organized way in meetings or scheduled events, but things that just happen by happenstance in the hallway or because you happen to go to lunch with someone mm-hmm. or you see them at the water cooler. Um, and so that component of leadership is gone. But what you're really doing there is making personal connections with people mm-hmm. um, to show sincere interest in their well-being and their careers, but also sometimes to be delivering the message and emphasizing the messages you want to deliver as a leader. Mm-hmm. So it requires more um, first of all, it requires consciousness of that requirement that there be more mm. effort now in reaching out mm. to people. And then mm. second, you need to execute on that, or one would need to execute on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it almost seems as if, and, and look, I understand the personal charisma. I think you told me that interesting story about uh, JFK and, and, and Nixon, which I thought was interesting. In fact, if you, would you like to share that story? Because I thought that was a good story. Yes. So uh, in the 1960 presidential debate between Kennedy and Nixon, there was an interesting divide between the people who watched that on TV, where you're getting the visual cues that the, that the speaker was able to convey, and those who heard it on radio. And so those who watched on television thought Kennedy had won, and those who listened on the radio or then saw the, the, the printout of the, of the debate the next day in the papers thought Nixon had won. And so from that, one could say Nixon had better analytics, perhaps, and that Kennedy had perhaps a better emotional intelligence. But there was a stark divide, and that's you know, lots of commentary on that since then. Mm-hmm. And that's an example of how um, uh, one's presence with the audience, so TV affords more presence with the audience than radio, radio does, can have an effect on how that audience perceives and is inspired by the messages that you're intending mm-hmm. to um, convey. Well, we definitely think of, I mean, I definitely tend to think of great leaders as leaders who have charisma, or I always think of charisma as being a very important component of being a leader. And right. perhaps as you're suggesting, and, I, and I, I don't think I disagree with this, that in as we move towards more and more remote, you know, perhaps charisma is uh, not so critical, or people shouldn't look at to charisma as being so critical. And to some extent, it might almost be a crutch because you don't have you can be quote sort of lazy on some of the other things you talk about being a leader if you have charisma because it kind of makes up for it, right? I mean, do do, do you sort of agree with that? I do, although it may be discipline dependent. So, for example, there is no question um, that there are maybe Sir Stephen Hawking's is either a good or a bad example depending on how you think about it, but. One wouldn't call him necessarily charismatic, but he was clearly an intellectual force within mm-hmm. his field of discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, if you talk with patent litigators or patent trial lawyers around the country, I know that um, many of them will have dealt with, in an expert capacity, perhaps just consulting, um, um, scientific uh, leaders in their fields who uh, maybe lacked personal charisma but were absolutely intellectual forces, and because of that, were leaders in their field and acknowledged to be that. Mm. So that, that, that charisma component um, may turn on the field we're talking about, mm. but I think as a general matter, I agree with that proposition, proposition. although I, I, I don't think of it as a crutch because I don't think people can rise to the level of leaders of important organizations 
on the strength only of personal charisma. I think there's a sort of Peter principle there, or a, a, you know, ceiling that gets imposed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Perhaps that's optimistic. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, th- I think these are, I think these are good points. Do you have an example in your personal life of where you witnessed a leader that you thought was particularly good in a person? I mean, not just that you read about, but you know, somebody in your youth or early in your career that you felt like was a really good leader that you could talk about. Sure. My uh, my ex partner, my, my ex law partner Matt Powers, uh, now has his own firm. Uh, you know, I practiced together with him as, as a fellow partner for better part of a decade at Wild Gotcha and Mangies, and um, yeah, he rose up at Wild from a you know a lateral partner period, full stop, to one of the very small number of people who led the law firm, not just the patent group. Um, and he did that through a, a combination of the attributes we've we've talked about, but certainly a, a good part of that was personal charisma, um, and his trial record, uh, I think, bespeaks that. But he also had tremendous intellectual depth, and law, as you know, is a is a highly intellectual exercise, and so the intellectual rigor he applied himself to the problems he was trying to solve, including to the you know leading the law firm, um, was something you know, that, by example, I think a lot of us got. Um, uh, inspired by and tried to emulate. Um, so he'd be a, uh, you know, a, a, an example of a person who I think had a number of these characteristics that we talked about that was a, a really terrific leader, and now he leads his own law firm. Hmm. Well, you talked a little bit earlier about, you know, in addition to charisma, you talked about, you know, ha- making a personal connection, the importance of that. Now, yes. in the context of remote leadership, um, First of all, I think that's harder to do because you don't get the face-to-face. But then also, when you think about larger and larger organizations, you know, global organizations, you know, that, that strikes me as something that's not very scalable. I mean, if you've got, you know, five people you're leading or, you know, a room full of them, you know, you, you probably could get a personal connection. You could, you know, know their kids' birthdays and so forth and so on. But when, when the organization really becomes large, you know, that, that becomes a lot harder. Um, what are your thoughts on how you can still manage to do that effectively as a leader, um, and particularly if it's remote, where you don't get to see them in, on a regular basis? I guess as an initial matter, I'd, I'd push back on the premise. And let me use an example again with General Mattis. So when he was first tasked with leading one of the first offenses, uh, military offenses in the Mideast, uh, he was told by his colleagues, his general colleagues, that this particular undertaking was going to result in casualty rates of 50%. And he went back and met with his team and said, that's completely unacceptable, tore up the plans, drew up a new map and said, this is going to, this example is going to sound a little brutal, but I'm going to use it anyway. I don't want any, even any insects to be alive between these points and these points. Every, everything between this point and this point, we're going to kill. And we're going to do that to save our men. And that story got out um, and really inspired people. So he, you know, Mattis didn't meet most of the people he led, but but that action, mm-hmm. even though he was unable to meet those people, um, mm-hmm. uh, certainly inspired them. And and then you know that offensive went on to be uh, a great success militarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess I'd push back on the premise a little bit, um, but I take your point. Um, as as you get um, larger, as an organization gets bigger. Uh, the ability, just the physical ability to reach out and touch the people you're leading uh, diminishes. So how do you do that? Well, uh, you can do it through lieutenants, trusted lieutenants. You can do it through uh, visits to to personnel, uh, either on a surprise or scheduled basis. And we see presidents do this uh, where they'll they'll make unscheduled, unannounced stops at various, typically it's a military installation, 
tremendous um, uh, galvanizing effect on the troops when presidents do that. Um, you know, within small organizations, maybe commercial uh, organizations, um, you can emulate or model that behavior. So I make it a point to check in with, because I typically lead teams that in the context of litigation are large, but in the context of entities we're talking about are smaller. But still, I, I, I try to make an effort, to, I do make an effort to reach out to people and just check in. How are they doing personally? Mm-hmm. How are they doing professionally? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is the case a vehicle to satisfy their career goals or their mm-hmm. career goals they're not satisfying that we can find other vehicles, publishing, mm-hmm. whatever it happens to be? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it takes more effort. Um, but but single, and I'm thinking now the presidential visits, exa- you know, isolated examples like that can have a, a, a larger galvanizing effect. Well, clearly, I sort of, you haven't said this word, but, and maybe this is almost too simple, but um, I mean, clearly it seems like if you're doing remote leadership, communication is more important, more communication is more important. Yes. Um, and I think, I think one thing that's difficult, and I've sort of had this conversation now with a few people about, you know, there's that balance between too much communication uh, and not enough communication. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, how to balance that and how important that is when you're trying to do lead, leading people remotely? Yes. Uh, and I, I think that the challenge you identified has become more acute as our social media uh, capabilities have expanded. We are now bombarded with news um, and information from really every source, every time we, we touch a computer, and email is a great example. I don't know what your professional life is like, Richard, but uh, I often get when cases are in extremely active phases, you know, several hundred emails a day, and there needs to be a way to to sift that, and that's true of, of, of people that one is leading to. Um, I hope that this answer may not be satisfying. I think that's largely a matter of instinct, and I don't think there's a sort of one-size-fits-all rule of thumb. Some people mm. require more reach-out. Some people operate better with less. Mm. Um, it takes experience with those people to know where on that spectrum people fall. Mm. Um, I guess my, in terms of my own personal philosophy, at least in a pandemic like this, particularly in the early stages, uh, err on the side of uh, more communication than less, mm. and it will become readily apparent if if, if what one is doing is too much. But the last thing one wants to do in a, in a situation like this is to leave people uh, feeling isolated, particularly mm-hmm. if they're depending on you to be their leader, whether you have a title or not. Mm-hmm. Well, do you think, I mean, do you think it's fair to say, I mean, you've talked about a little bit about, you know, obviously very many, it sounds like many leaders can do it very effectively remotely. Do you think it just can't be, do you think that as a practical matter, it, it, it will never be as effective as in-person leadership, or do you actually think that it really can be? Uh, I guess I default back to what courts have been doing uh, ever since the ability to do video conferences or teleconferences has emerged, and they still want hearings uh, in person live. Uh, there's a there's a there's an assessment that humans are able to make about a person when they're in the room that you're just not able to make through electronic means. Even that even the best video conferencing uh, equipment there's a there's a component there that we just miss, and that's why I've known people that have flown to different continents for one one hour meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the reason they did that is a the event was critical, but b they really wanted to get the measure of the other person and to let the other person get the measure of them. So mm-hmm. I think video conferencing technology is absolutely marvelous, and 
in many instances is a perfect substitute for um, in-person uh, communication. But there are times when that in-person communication is critical and vital and nothing's going to substitute for it. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, I see that a little bit in, as you know, I was a former law firm partner, but now I'm a legal recruiter. Right. And um, I see that a little bit now, too, because a lot of law firms said, look, we just will not make a partner that we have not met in person, even though, as you say, the video right. is perfectly good, but they just won't right. do it. Um, and I agree with you. There must There is something about meeting someone in person that we pick up on. I'm not exactly sure what that is exactly that you can't pick up on video, but I agree Um so at least for now, I, I do agree with that. Well, the, the social science on communication suggests that, that most of how we understand a person when that person's talking with us is through cues other than purely the auditory, right? So mm -hmm. cues other than what they're saying. Mm -hmm. um, and it's only in the three-dimensional experience, if you will, of, of being in the same room with someone that you really do get to get the measure of a person. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there are events for, for which there's no substitute for in-person. I absolutely mm -hmm. agree with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you do, I mean, my other thesis, which I, I'm just curious if you do agree with, is, is that obviously more remote work, I mean, this pandemic will accelerate more and more remote work. We're already going in that trend, but I think this will accelerate it more. I think companies will... Um, have more and more remote workforces. And I do think the skills required in being able to leave remotely will become more important and that they either, you know, and they are somewhat different and maybe somewhat different emphasis from just the skills you need for being just a, if you are just a pure traditional leader. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I think video conferencing will play an, an increasingly important role in how leaders of all kinds, you know, so law firms, businesses, military, politics, whatever the entity, academic, whatever the entity happens to be, um, I think that desire to be able to see the people we're connecting with, see the people we're leading, see the people we're leading us will remain. Um, so for example, Richard, I would prefer that you and I could be in the same room right now. Mm -hmm. We can't be. Yeah. Uh, a close a close second for, for, for our purposes today would probably be a video conference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I don't know about you. I'm not yet presentable for a video conference today, so I'm, I'm glad we're on the phone. Um, but you know, and and probably for our purposes, this this phone conference works. But I, I do think that leaders will find that their um, ability to lead is is uh, more that the ability to lead through remote means has become comparatively more important than before the crisis. Absolutely agree with that. I do think one area. And this is a slight digression, but I do think one area that will is very, very difficult to do remotely, and that is, you know, training, <clears throat> learning, training. Um, you know, there are certain things you can learn remotely, obviously online classes and all that. But I'm thinking, for example, in the legal profession, when I was a young associate, it was really important to be sort of in the presence of a, a senior lawyer or somebody who knew what I was doing, knew, knew more what I, than, than, than I knew, uh, to learn from that person. And I, I feel like that would be very hard to do, teach, and learn remotely. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I guess there's an entire CLE industry uh, devoted to the proposition that what you just said was not correct, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because, because, you know, we get CLEs through video, we get them on DVDs, um, we get them through webinars sometimes. So at least there's an industry devoted to the proposition that there's some learning that can be done effectively remotely. Uh, you know, my world is trials and litigation, and I think there are some things uh, I could do with younger lawyers very effectively remotely, frankly, even by the, even over the phone. Uh, I also think there are things 
examining a witness in particular uh, that really does have to be done in person live with an example so that the person gets the full set of information about what a good cross looks like, for example. Um, but if I were with a young associate and he or she was going to deliver, for example, his or her first uh, opening argument, mm-hmm. opening statement, mm-hmm. one could talk through the goals of that, mm-hmm. um, the vehicles by which you're going to achieve those goals, the structure of the argument, You know, what arguments are going to be emotional, what arguments are going to be intellectual, what arguments are going to appeal to fairness, um, pretty effectively remotely. Um, mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that last piece and here's how you get up and deliver that. Mm-hmm. That probably has to be live, so I think I probably agree with you. I have to confess that on the corporate side, I don't have enough exposure to that world. And I know you were a tech trans lawyer and a leader at Sherman and Sterling in that field. I don't have enough exposure to that to feel confident about having an opinion uh, one way or the other. But certainly in litigation, I agree that there's some quanta of training that has to be in person. Well, Vern, uh, this has been a really interesting conversation. I really appreciate your taking the time and reaching out. And uh, I wasn't expecting to talk to a trial lawyer about this topic, but I was after this conversation, I was very glad. I learned something from myself, and uh, if if I end up uh, needing to talk to you some more, I'd like to come back and invite you invite you again. Oh, it was lovely to talk with you, and I was uh, very glad to get your invitation. This is Richard Shu and Vern Winters. Thank you. Mm-hmm.